This morning, we are going to dig into the scriptures because we believe that God has been so gracious to us to allow us in on who he is and what he's like, specifically in the person and work of Jesus, but letting us in on the person and work of Jesus through the scriptures. And so we open them up and we study and we think about our God and who he is and what he's done. And we typically do this by taking a theme, a topic, one of the books of the Bible. Um, this morning, Josh is going to be preaching uh, and he's going to be sharing from Acts chapter one. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there and bookmark it. If you don't, there's some scattered around in some of the chairs. You can feel free to use one of those. And if you don't own one, you can keep it as our gift to you. But I'm going to invite Josh up and I'm going to pray for him and then he's going to take us through and show us some of Jesus. I hope that's what you do. Uh, that's why I came. Okay. okay. <laughs> <No pressure>. <laughs> <laughs> Father, thank you so much for, thank you for this man. Thank you for calling him to yourself. Thank you for revealing to him your son. Thank you that he is filled with your spirit and that he is able right now to lead us to Christ, to take us to the table to see the broken body, the shed blood, the resurrection, and the truth that we now have. And God, we ask that you would use him in a mighty way during this time to see your son more clearly. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, Austin, thank you so much for that. Uh, you know, God's been working um, in crazy ways recently. Uh, and in some of those ways, it's uh -oh. um, just kind of popping up in random spots and reminding me of truth and uh, um, yeah, I, uh, I could fill you in a little more about that as I go on. Um, as Anthony said, we're going to be in Acts 1. Um, you could go ahead and start flipping there. But my name's Josh, uh, and again, I get the privilege and honor to bring you the word of God today. Um, I've served as a pastor uh, at City Church since 2014, and I've recently stepped down to really follow the work that I believe that God's calling me to do, my family and other families also. Um, again, Anthony, as Anthony said, you know, we, we like to dive into the scriptures. Sometimes we're focusing on, on, on a group of passages. Sometimes we're kind of all over the place. Today is one of those days. I'm going to be jumping all over the place. Um, we, uh, I think I've taken a, a sermon series and crunched it down into 30 minutes, so I'm going to be moving a little fast. Um, I'm going to tell you about myself a bit, be a little transparent, uh, tell you about what God's been doing in my life in the last month, uh, eight months, six months, a year. Um, today I've titled the sermon, Spirit-Empowered Ordinary People, and my premise is that God uses ordinary people... Um, in their ordinary day-to-day -day lives to accomplish the extraordinary. And I'm going to give a couple definitions before we dive in. The first is, what do I mean by ordinary? Um, Austin today was talking about how we are ordinary people. He didn't use that word, but he was saying we're all broken, we're all doing life, and all in need of a savior. That's every single one of us throughout the entire world. We go to our jobs after we leave here Monday through Sunday or Monday through Saturday, and um, we do life. We're all ordinary people, and we are who God uses. Uh, extraordinary. What do I mean by extraordinary? I'm strictly speaking of conversion. And again, I was reminded in, in Reckless Love today that it's not only you know, the Billy Graham crusades that are extraordinary. You know, God leaves the 99 to save the one, right? So... Um, again, God uses ordinary people to accomplish the extraordinary. And I have three sub-points. First, all are called. All of us. We're all called on this mission. Second, 
Holy Spirit empowered. We can't do it without him. Third, joy inspired. I believe joy is extremely essential to living a life that glorifies God. Let's read Acts 1, 1 through 9. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is Luke's second book. He wrote Luke, and he's writing this second book. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come before you today, children, people who recognize your worth, and come here today. We, we, come to, we gather to, to sing praises to your name, that our hearts would be stirred, that we would see you more clearly that Christ, your son, would be lifted up in our lives. And none of this is possible without his death. None of this is possible without your Holy Spirit living within us. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would move. God, first that I would be reminded I'm no longer a slave to fear. And God, that our hearts and minds would be open to the truths that are in your word. I ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All called. Leslie Newbegin says this, to be elect in Christ Jesus, and there is no other election, means to be incorporated into his mission to the world to be the bearer of God's saving purpose for his whole world, to be the sign and agent to the first fruit of his blessed kingdom, which is for all. J.D. Greer, a pastor down south somewhere, um, asks his congregation this, is God's mission the center of your ambition? And I ask you, is God's mission the center of your ambition? And some of you might be thinking, well, maybe, it depends on what you mean by mission. Well, let's define mission um, by the scripture. John 3, 16 through 17 says that Christ was on a rescue mission, that he came not to judge the world, but to save it. Luke 19, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. 1 Timothy 1, 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and this is the mission that we are on. Every single one of us, all of us who call Christ Lord, who are Christians in this room, have not only been adopted into the kingdom as sons and daughters, but have been incorporated into this mission. 
There's no such thing as a Christian who's not on mission. Yes, we, we do good things, right? We push back the darkness by loving others, but as a leverage to see lost souls come to Christ. Let's look back at Aches, uh, excuse me, Acts 1.8. But, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Not maybe, not possibly. You will be my witnesses. Luke words this very similar, but in such a remarkable way. Let's look at Luke 24. 46 through 48. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He says, I am sending you forth with this message of repentance and forgiveness. Mark 16, 15 through 16, again we see, And he said to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. We see this time and time and time again in the scriptures. God sending his people. Let's look at Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe on, in him of, uh, of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear with, uh, without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And if that's not enough, I got more. This next one, however, is a bit heavy. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's read from Ezekiel 33. Eight through nine. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. The blood of those whom we don't preach will be on our hands. Can it get any clearer than that? We are on mission. But thanks be to God, he knows us better than we do, and he continues to hammer home this point. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are we a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession? So that we can proclaim his excellencies. Other translations were like this, so you can show others his excellencies. Lastly, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 8, uh, 18-20. Read along with me, if you will. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. My friends, our purpose in this life is to win people to Christ for the glory of God. This mission is not something that we should get to if we have time. This is what we should be filtering. This is how we should view all of our life, the filter in which we should be viewing our life. And God has put me on this path. He's put my wife on this path. He's put the other brothers and sisters who are part of this church plant on, on this path. And, and I know that's, that's what he's placed on Anthony's heart and the other elders' heart. That's why they're doing this discipleship track. That's why we do small groups, right? I mean, we want to see you guys. We want to see the family of God, ordinary people, live out the mission of God. We want to see people in our city and our neighborhoods come to Christ. One thing I think about often, and I'm sure we, we all do to some degree, but I think about when I'm older and I look back at my life, what am I going to see? What did I do with my life? Did I live to the best of my ability for the glory of God, for the mission of God? Or was I far more consumed with my career, my kids going to college, my family living comfortable lives, my vacations, my retirement? I love this quote uh, by C.T. Studd. He writes, This life soon will pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. My friends, this is our mission. Our God uses normal people like you and me to, to accomplish it. And by his grace, he's convinced me of this. He's moved me in such a way that I want to step into uncomfortable places for his glory. A guy who six months ago had to step down and take a sabbatical because he was so overwhelmed because of this idolatry of man, and I'm speaking of myself. I had a ton of anxiety. See, I was supposed to be f trembling. I was supposed to be working out my salvation with fear and trembling at the foot of God, and I was trembling at the foot of man. About, uh, I don't know, July, June sometime, I get these stomach pains and uh, not really sure why. I go to my primary care. He gives me this medication. Um, I take it for a week and it doesn't help. So I call him up the Friday and I tell him, hey, this is not working. What should I do? Hey, go for a CAT scan tonight um, and, uh, you know, we'll get back to you. I go for my CAT scan and the, the tech, who is not a doctor and can't tell me anything, didn't want to let me leave. I mean, she wasn't saying that, but she was like, are you sure you're not supposed to stay? And you have no stomach problems. You're, you're okay. Like, you can eat. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, are you sure the doctor didn't want you to stay? I'm like, all right, you're freaking me out. All right. But no, I'm not supposed to stay. She's like, all right, call in the morning. So I call in the morning. Um, they call me back a couple hours later, and they say, you need to go to the emergency room. You have acute appendicitis. Um, did not have any symptoms outside of some stomach pain. You know, I was eating, and we were actually at house church, um, and we were talking, having fun, and, and eating food, so not your normal acute appendicitis. Um, anyways, in the midst of that, I, uh, I go and get some tests done. They find some polyps in my large intestine and ulcers in my stomach, and my brother, who's a PA, I'm telling him about it, and he's like, are you a stressed out person? And I'm like, no. He's like, I do scans. He, he's in radiology. He's like, I do scans of, of, uh, of guys your age's uh, intestines all the time. He's like, and I never see polyps. Are you sure you're not stressed out? I'm like, yeah, I'm not stressed. But after that, I start thinking about how I respond to people and how I respond to situations, and I realize I'm extremely stressed out. And I didn't know why. I didn't know why. 
It, 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 it had a hold of me. Uh, that song we sang today, uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I mean, that means a lot to me. In the midst of this, I got this overwhelming feeling of God telling me I need to step down. No, no clear answer. I, I, I didn't know what he was talking about, but it just kept on reoccurring in my life. Like, I have this anxiety. I, I'm starting to see how bad it is. And I'm also starting to see that, like, hey, you need to stop. You need to stop something. You're getting pulled in too many different directions. But I just kept going. I kept ignoring it. One day, on the way to church here, I was coming with my family. We live in Springfield, and we were coming down Taylor Street over here, and I was stopped at Chestnut Street at the red light, and, I don't know, a couple hundred yards is the red light at Dwight Street, and that was the red light I was looking at. Um, I'm staring at Dwight Street's red light, and that light turns green, though my red light stayed red, and by God's grace, there's a two-lane road because I got all the way through the first lane when a Chevy Blazer buzzed by me, lays on his horn, I slam on my brakes, I look to my left, there's another car coming. Luckily, he had time to stop, um, but my wife goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I, I did this a bunch at home, I didn't choke up, but... <laughs> um, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Anyways, another week goes by, me ignoring that. And we're on our way home from church. We went to a friend's house, uh, a friend's church who has a house church in Connecticut and stopped at another red light. It's dark, no other red lights in sight. And my foot just had a mind of its own, stepped on the gas and I start going and my wife screams. I slam on the brakes. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. The next morning, Monday morning, I'm uh, getting ready for work and I get a text from a good friend of mine, and he's like, hey man, just checking in, how are you doing? Uh, and we start talking, and then he's like, hey, why did you miss the meeting yesterday? And right when he asked me that, anxiety and fear just overcame, overcame, overcame me, and I start thinking of all these excuses and all these reasons why I missed the meeting, and in the midst of that, I hear God say, stop. Just stop. Remember the red lights? And you just wanted to plow through them? Stop. And in that moment, I knew. I knew that I needed a break. I knew that I needed to, to step down from being an elder for a bit because I was not healthy. I uh, reached out to the guys, and I remember if it was that day, a couple days later, and I asked them to uh, you know, allow me to have a sabbatical. See, I had this idolatry, but it, it didn't seem to bother anything. As long as it behaved, I was okay with it. I didn't do what Colossians 3 tells me to do and put it to death. I kept it as my pet, and it was eating me up inside, and I didn't know it. In the midst of all that, a friend of mine, the, the buddy who I went to his church in Connecticut, invited me to this men's retreat. And uh, um, I'm a family guy. I have kids and stuff, so like, it's really hard for me to be like, hey, I'm going to go and spend some time by myself. Um, my wife takes care of the boys all day long. So, but she encouraged me. She said, go, get some rest. You need a breather. And so I went with that idea that I was going to go get some rest and uh, just have some time for myself. But God had different plans. Uh, I had no idea what the men's retreat was about, but when I get there, I find out that it's based on this book, Wild at Heart. And I step in, and I'm like, I didn't know much about it, but I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. You know, like, what's going to happen? And um, 
I would highly recommend that book now. Uh, I've since read it. Um, maybe not for everybody, but it's, it's a great book. Uh, it was great for me. That whole weekend, though, God was working. God was, I was, I was journaling about my, my past, about my childhood, and how that affected me in such a way that it was keeping me from being the, God that, uh, the man that God wanted me to be. And it was hard, and I wrestled through that. And the last six months, that's what I've been doing. Uh, some days, complete success. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Some days, I, I chickened out and cowered because I was afraid of what somebody was going think to of, think of me. Even in the prep of the sermon, you know, as I come up here, I mean, and that's why I was so thankful for Anthony's prayers. Anthony uh, sent me a text this morning saying, hey, man, let's, you know, I forget what he said. But um, <laughs> it was good, and it was encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and it was, it was exactly what I was thinking this sermon was going to do. And then Austin gets up here and he says these things about the 99 and about fear, and I'm like, man, God, you are good. God uses, oh, excuse me, let me wrap back around. But in the midst of all that, God was restoring me, right? God was stirring my heart to mature me, to love him all the more, to want to live on mission. This guy who's broken, God uses ordinary people like you and me to accomplish the extraordinary. And what's so amazing about this is God doesn't let us do it on our own. And this brings me to my second point, Holy Spirit empowered. The Lord sends us on mission, on this mission that is impossible to do without him. Let's look again at Acts 1 through uh, 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The message translation words it this way, you will be able to be my witness. He sends them to Jerusalem and he says, wait, don't do nothing. Don't do anything. And it's funny because right before that, the, Israelite, uh, excuse me, the apostles are, are asking about him restoring Israel, Right? It's like they have this tunnel vision of, of, of Israel being restored. And as soon as they receive the spirit, bam. They're like, wait a minute, that, that's not what he was doing. We're on mission now. He tells them to wait until they receive this power. Ephesians three sixteen through 21. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may, uh, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be, may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can think or ask according to the power at work within us. The Holy, the, uh, the, the Holy Scriptures are, 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 are so beautiful. The, I love seeing the unity as we, as we jump around. Let's look at what John says in 1 John 2.27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone would teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, Abide in him. John's not ruling out human teachers. He's not saying they're not necessary. He's saying that even them, even the ones that are teaching you, need the Holy Spirit. 
Acts 10 says that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. My friends, when did the apostles start their ministry? After they received the Holy Spirit. When did Jesus start his ministry? After he received the Holy Spirit. The one thing that we need to go and make disciples is the Holy Spirit. And if you are a believer in this room, you have him. We are ordinary people that God is empowered with his Holy Spirit. What then is stopping us? What stops us from going on this mission in our everyday life? I mean, I'm sure it could be a, a handful of things, but I think one of, the, one of the biggest things is desire. See, we love other things far more than we love the glory of God. And in my case, it was the praise of others. Which leads me to my last point, joy-inspired. Leslie Newbigin says this, missions begins with a kind of explosion of joy the news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be, be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is like the fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout, which is not lethal but life-giving. And I'm about to say something slightly controversial. You guys ready? Joy. <laughs> Joy equals happiness. Now, before you start booing and walking out, let me explain. <laughs> Joy is a robust word, right? It does communicate profound peace and comfort and stability and thanks to God. Like, thanks be to God that we have that. But it also communicates happiness. When we remove peace and joy, uh, peace and comfort from the word joy, we've watered it down to something that is not biblical. It's not the biblical definition of joy. But we do the same thing when we minimize happiness from it. When we, we water down joy when we remove happiness from it. We don't have that full, robust meaning of what joy actually means. And I think the reason Christians often minimize, their, uh, minimize happiness in their definition of joy is because it is usually understood to external circumstances, understood in connection with external circumstances. So if your external circumstances are not good, then you cannot be happy. But what if our happiness was rooted in something more solid, more foundational? Namely, Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards says this about happiness. Hence we may learn that whatever changes a godly man passes through, he is happy. Because God, who is unchangeable, is his portion. Though we meet with temporal losses and be deprived of many or all of his temporal enjoyments, yet God, whom he prefers before all, still remains and cannot be lost. While he stays in this changeable, troublesome world, he is happy because he knows his portion on which he builds as his main foundation for happiness is above the world and above all changes. And when he goes into another world, still he is happy because the portion yet remains. How great is the happiness of those who have chosen the fountain of all good, who prefer him before all things in heaven or on earth, and who can never be deprived of him to all eternity. Do you realize that today? That you can never be deprived of God no matter where you are or what you're going through. He is with us 
always. Paul in prison, he writes this letter to the Philippians. He's in prison. His external circumstances are awful, yet he commands the Philippian church to rejoice and to rejoice always. He doesn't say, hey, sometimes if things are good, he commands them to rejoice always. The word rejoice here is the verb form of the Greek word translated joy. Same word in a verb. Acts 5, the apostles are flogged, and after being flogged, they're rejoicing. Their external circumstances are awful, and they're leaving this situation rejoicing. Again, a verb. They're not leaving saying, I feel peace and comfort, which I'm sure they did because they're with God, but they're rejoicing. They're, they're doing an action. They're doing something, and they're rejoicing because they're happy, because they were happy for being found worthy to suffer for Christ. Jesus tells this parable about the kingdom of heaven, and he says that a man finds his treasure in a field, and out of joy goes and sells all his possessions so he could purchase this treasure. This man is about to receive the greatest gift he could ever receive, and all he has is peace and comfort? I don't think so. I think tied to that is extreme happiness. Psalm 16 8 through 11 says it this way. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Comfort and peace. Therefore, my heart is glad, joy, happiness. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, peace and happiness and joy. I mean, uh, comfort. For you will not abandon my soul to show or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. I can't think of a, a more complete definition for joy. But why does this matter? It matters because, because I believe wholeheartedly that the key for living on mission for God is a life fought on the battlefield for our desires. What we desire most is what we glorify most. What brings us the most peace, comfort, happiness is what we desire most. C.S. Lewis says this about our praise and what we praise. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of, thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praises their mistress, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical people, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, which is weird, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had never noticed either, he goes on, I had never noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Do you think it magnificent? The psalmist is telling, it's the psalmist in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. He goes on to say, what we indeed can't help but do. 
It's intrinsic within us. That's how God has made us. Being satisfied, joyful, content, happy in Christ Jesus, above all things, is the foundation to missions. And it is only possible if the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. My friends, God uses ordinary people, people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, to accomplish his his mission this side of heaven, namely the salvation of lost souls. Myself, Anthony, John, Matt, ordinary, broken people. People who wrestle with sin and some days have victory and some days don't. And I wonder sometimes, does that surprise you? Myself, Anthony, Matt, John, Pat, John Piper, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Abraham, Noah, Adam, tax collectors, fishermen, tent makers, murderers, thieves, adulterers, prostitutes, and carpenters. My friend, we are part of a lineage of ordinary people who God has empowered with his spirit to accomplish the extraordinary. And what's so amazing is that God himself provides everything we need through the sacrifice of his son. On the the cross, Christ purchased for himself a family of ordinary people and gave to them eternal life. But also, his blood bought us power and joy to live out the mission for his glory. Brothers and sisters, today, as we take communion, remember that. Remember that we are taking communion as, as a family who has been adopted into the kingdom of God. But also remember that because of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. As you take communion, remember that. And thank God for all that he's done for us. Before we, um, we move on to uh, worship, I'm going to say a few things about me and my family and where this house church, this, this church plant is going. And um, Anthony's going to come up and invite everybody up. Um, but where does that leave me as an elder and my family? Um, well, it leaves us right now meeting every third Sunday um, to hear the word of God preached in a place, in a neighborhood where the word of God is not preached. Uh, leaves us meeting every third Sunday singing songs to Christ in a place in a neighborhood where songs are not sung to Christ. We share a meal together and we share in the love of Christ in a neighborhood where the love of Christ is unknown. And we do this with a purpose that our hearts would be stirred. Our hearts would be stirred to live on missions Monday through Saturday for the glory of God. Again, Leslie Newbegin says this, the church, wherever it is, is not only Christ's witness to its own people and nation, but also the home base for a mission to the ends of the earth. Wherever it is, it's a home base for us to live on missions in our day-to-day lives. So we are, we're planting this church, and our goal is to see people to come to know Christ by us living missionary lives in the communities and contexts in which God has placed us. Practically, what does that look like? Baby steps, really. Us learning. Um, us really focusing on being present in the neighborhoods and the jobs that God has placed us in. A couple stories, uh, by God's grace, he just puts these things in our lives, but one day, um, my boys look out their window uh, and they see an ambulance at a neighbor's house and they tell mom and mom runs over there and says, hey, can I do anything? Can I help? Can I wash your your, your children? And they were so touched by that that they reached out to us 
And um, we've had dinner with them a couple times. My wife has been walking with, with the wife um, and the mom in that house. And uh, it just took us being present, us being aware. And we're building relationships with them. Uh, I met this guy at work. Um, and uh, I found out that his wife was sick. And I uh, walked up to him and I said, hey, man, uh, I'm a Christian. And I would really love to pray for your wife. What's her name? And since then, I see him every now and then, and I talk to him, and he's opened up to me about his marriage. I have opened up to him about my marriage, and we just, I just ask him questions, and I listen. And he was, he was wrestling, and I said, hey, man, date, date your wife. Go do something. And one weekend, he goes, and, and he does this thing, and he, we see each other on Monday. I'm like, how was it? He's like, it was great. We had a great time. Thank you. And I'm just thinking, no, thank Jesus. So that's it. I'm going to pray. Anthony's going to come up and, uh, yeah. Pray with me, please. Gracious Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence in my life. I thank you for your presence and all the believers in this room and in their lives and in their hearts, God. I thank you that you haven't gathered us all in one little location, but you've spread us out. You sent us into our neighborhoods. You sent us into our homes and, and into our jobs to be a light, right? to be a, uh, a city on a hill, to push back darkness and to bring people into your kingdom. Father, I pray that as we walk out of here today, we'd be stirred to live on mission for your glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, uh, this church plant is, is stemming somewhat out of a gospel community that uh, has existed actually for quite some time. Jeremy, how long have you guys had that gospel community? Like three years, four years? Like three years? Um, up in Haydenville, they started this, uh, this gospel community and uh, the Sprague's joined it. I should have come with this information. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, and they started having this conversation about what it would look like to, to plant a church up there where there really isn't very many churches at all. And so the conversation began, and we started chatting through it, and slowly but surely came to a conclusion that it would be good uh, for us to, to do some work up there. And their gospel community agreed with that. And so, like Josh said, these baby steps of just meeting once a month currently, but slowly over time, see what happens and what develops, and uh, be a part of uh, hopefully what God is doing up there. And so the hope is that the City Church and all of you, through prayer, other support can be there uh, with them to partner and see God do something. Um, the City Church started eight years ago, and uh, I would have killed to have another church that was supporting me the way that we can support them. And so for you, that means don't take that for granted. Your opportunity to provide support in prayer and even just in conversation or even helping them in financial means, like you get to be a part of that. And so don't take that for granted. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite their entire community up, have them introduce themselves, and then we're just going to pray over them. We'll start with you. Name. Ethan. Caleb. Cassandra. Josh. Right. I am Jeremy. Joanna. Jessica. Justin. And they're missing some too, but uh, let's go ahead and pray for them. Father, thank you so much for 
Thank you so much for this group of people who care so deeply about you, who care deeply about your kingdom coming, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, God, that you uh, have empowered them with your spirit and you've given them a foundation for where they can actually find joy. And God, we ask that you would do, you would do this work in them and through them that uh, something might happen here in Massachusetts uh, that we can all look back at and see your hand at work. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please answer our prayers, for we ask in the most matchless and precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Josh.